I am so excited for this coming term. Um, and I'm also really excited about this morning's message um, because it kind of jumps on from last week. And so if you weren't here last week, you didn't hear the message, I really do recommend that you hear it. Not because I think that I'm all great and all of that, <laughs> but mainly because when we talk about some of these things, especially at the start of the year, we are setting up for what God is wanting to do in our church. And so if you want to be part of this community, it's a great way to catch on to some of the things that we are going to continue to step and walk into. And so uh, quick recap, last week we talked about silencing the goblin, the goblin being this self-indulgent kind of way of living, um, because last year uh, Oxford Dictionary made the word of the year goblin mode. It's like this whole like, I'm so overwhelmed by all that is going on in my life, and so I'm just going to go goblin mode. I'm just going to like eat a whole bag of um, Tim Tams and, and, um, and watch TV the whole day, even though I know it's not going to make me feel any better tomorrow but I'm just going to goblin today um, and so we talked about needing to silence the goblin and it needs we need courage to do that and so we also talked about how in silencing the goblin we need to be um, as the Bible tells us to plan and to work into uh, the path that we are about to take so that we can have certainty and surety in our journeys as the Proverbs 4:26, I believe it says Ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Ponder means make level. Path is road. So you make level the roads that you're about to take. Then all of your journey, all of the ways that you are going will be sure. Now it's a proverb, it's not a promise, which means that this is general wisdom. So sometimes our planning doesn't lead to surety in our journey, but this generally works. This is wisdom from God and this is what we need to do. And as I mentioned last week, one of the things that we also, I'm sorry, I don't know why, but this just works better for me. Maybe it's my old, old OCD coming out. Um, but I also alluded to the fact that in pondering our past, we need to be able to discern the voice of God, right? Now, I did a bunch of reading and research, and it just made me feel like one Sunday is not going to be enough, even though that's all we have. And so later in this year, we're going to have probably a four to six part series on hearing the voice of God, because I think that's going to be super key for us this year. But today, we're going to start on it and give a bit of a taster. And so um, if you can turn the screens or on your phones, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, 11 to 14, and this is what it says. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their, uh, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So today's message is called For a Mature Audience. Or if you're one of the old school ones, they used to say For a Mature Audience. I don't know why. Mature Audience. Although to be probably more accurate, I want today to be more about For a Mature Ring Audience rather than a Mature Audience. Um, but let's pray, hey? God, I just pray that you will speak to us today. I pray that we will be convicted of ways that need to change and um, adjust in order that we can hear from you and live with discernment in our lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So one of the things about 
having a three-year-old is that you watch in real time a kid learning how to talk. And um, I used to study biology back in high school, and then I studied it in psychology in uni. And, um, and children, scientists have so seen that children are so able to learn language that they say that children have a language acquisition device, a, a lad, literally. They said, all kids have lads. And I was like, when, when Sam was about a year and a bit, I was like, his lad's not working. You know, his lad's broken. Because the understanding of like a device is that it's scientific, right? That it has these little progressions that you can see, this, this incremental, predictable ability for him to learn language. Whereas Sam's journey has been a bit more like, uh, same, same, same old, same old, boom. I like his lad's broken. His lad, like, it, it reboots every, I don't know, six weeks and suddenly he's got an explosion of language. That's how it feels like. Um, uh, but, but it's also kind of interesting that we would say that children have a language acquisition device and we would so think that once they get something, they will get it, yes. right? Because it's kind of scientific, uh, but it really isn't. Children are not, they don't follow signs. Children don't know signs, and they don't know expectations that signs places on them. And so right now, one of the great mysteries that I am trying to solve is that Sam doesn't know the difference between you and me. <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. And so he would say, he's got his little lammy, which is his little, like, blanky sleep toy thing. He loves his lammy, and we'll play this game called My Lammy. Um, and, and so we will tug of war with this little lammy, and then somehow, somewhere down this wrestle, he was, he, at first he's like, my lammy, my lammy, and then he would change it to your lammy, your lammy, but he's still pulling it. <laughs> I was like, yes, Sam, so now it's mine. You said it's mine. Your lammy, your lammy. And it's like, no, no, you mean my lammy. It's like, your lammy. And I'm like, how do you get you and me to kind of sink into your stupid lad that has stopped working for some reason? I know you will get it one day. But I also understand that because of where his language and understanding is up to right now, he's still my son. I love him dearly. But there are things that I cannot share with him because he's not ready for it. There are things that he will not understand right now. And, you know, Beck and I, we're adoptive parents. And so even before we had Sam placed with us, they told us that we need to prepare developmentally helpful um, stories for Sam to understand his journey and his process. Um, and we prepared like four years ago and we still haven't used him because he's not at a stage where he really wants to know the stories. It was like, well, what was the point of that? You could have told me like years because there is a developmental track and there is maturity that is required for some conversations. And the truth is some of the conversations that I want to have with Sam, it's going to take years before I'm going to be able to bring it up with him. And it is the same way with God. For some reason, I think that we kind of get to this place of like, when I receive Jesus into my life and I say, yes, Jesus be my Lord and my Savior, is as though I am just going to understand everything about Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes upon me and He's my teacher and my advocate, which is true. That's what the Bible says. And so I'm just going to automatically understand everything in God's heart. Not true. You've got to grow up to understand the deeper mysteries of Christ. 
We need to stop this convenience mindset when it comes to the Jesus stuff. It's like, if Jesus really wants me, he's going to make this easy for me. It's like, Jesus doesn't just want you to be weak and the same way that you always used to be. He wants you strong. He wants you mature so that you can actually do the things that he has created you to do. Because that is where life truly is. And when we come to this passage in Hebrews chapter 5, it is exactly what I've been talking about. The author of Hebrews basically says to his audience, you have actually gone backwards in your maturity. We've taught you all of this stuff before, but now you are dull of hearing and you've gone back to milk even though you're meant to be on solid food. Solid food's for the mature, which means you're immature. And he's kind of saying that we know all these things and we are talking about these things again. Do you know, Christian, that there are things that you can have learned years ago that you really think you got, but you're still not maturing? And you need to refresh because you've not dealt with the immaturity in your life. You might be a Christian for 20, 30 years and forget that Jesus loves you and that's where your value comes from. You might be a song leader, worship leader for decades and still forget that worship is not about you but is about the King. You can be a prayer warrior for the last 30 years and think that you're the one that's changing God's mind. You can go through your Christian journey and spend years working on all these things and you can still forget where you started and the foundations if you're not careful. And so maturity is much about learning new things, but it's also about holding old things that are true. And this is one of the great traps for me as a, as a teacher that I love new revelation. I love studying new things. But sometimes I'm like, I've forgotten how much God loves me. And that's why we practice Lent. Because it brings me back to that place of like, God, this is what this is all about. This is why I practice my faith. This is why I pray. This is why I give. This is why I sacrifice. This is why I serve. Because you've done all of these things and it's important for us to do that. So we need to understand that we need to mature. And I want to give you a bit more of a, a deeper look into this passage because it's actually quite fascinating. So the author of Hebrews is actually unknown to us. We don't know who it is. There's been a few different speculations that it is Apollos or maybe it's Barnabas or maybe it's Paul, but he just forgot to write his usual salutation. It's like Paul and Apostle of the Lord. He starts every letter that way. This one, maybe he forgot. Or maybe someone ripped the first page off and so he was like, oh, we don't, we don't know who it is. But we know that it was written to Hebrew people and likely it was Hebrew people that were scattered across the world uh, because there was a lot of oppression and so Jews would often move into different places. And more than likely, one of those groups of people and maybe the original intended audience were the Jews in Rome because the first uh, known um, copy of um, the, book, the letter of Hebrews was uh, spoken about by AD 94, all right? So this is a really old letter. Um, and so that gives us a bit of insight into what is going on here. And when you read the book of Hebrews without this um, background understanding, it is a little bit weird. Because the first half of the whole book is spent where the author is saying Jesus is superior to angels, Jesus is superior to priests, Jesus is superior to this, Jesus is superior to that. And we're like, why are you talking about all of these things? <laughs> what is the point? Well, the point is this. 
the Jews in Rome were having massive issues. In particular, there was an emperor who did not like Christians. His name was Nero. And Nero was in power around, uh, around AD 70 mark onwards. He was in power and he was a nasty dude. He would stick poles up Christians' butts and put them onto these things and wait for them to die. And then he'll pour them with oil and then light them up as lampposts in his Roman Empire. And so if you're a Christian in Rome, you've got issues. Agreed? No one's sticking anything up anywhere in Perth at the moment. At least the emperor is not doing that. Emperor Mark, no, I shouldn't. Sorry. But we've got issues, but nothing like what's going on back then, where there was systematic persecution and eradication of Christians. And so what the Christian community started to think about, and these were the Jewish Christians in particular, they started to think, I gave my life to Jesus because I saw him as the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. In fact, back then, they weren't really called Christians. They just thought of themselves as Jesus followers because they were just simply seeing that the Old Testament was all in a fulfillment, uh, was found in Jesus. And so they kind of still saw themselves as um, followers of Judaism, really. But they were like fulfilled Judaism in, in, in a kind of a way. That's how they saw themselves. And so some of them, with all the persecution, they started to think that maybe Jesus wasn't the Messiah and to wait for another Messiah and to go back to following the laws and the practices and the customs of the Old Testament more than following Jesus. The severe persecution made them wonder whether Jesus really was their savior or not. I wanted to sink in. Because when we see what is going on in the book of Hebrews and the author is gone, Jesus is greater and is the fulfillment and is supreme over all of these things. They had heard all of those messages before, but the persecution caused them to forget. In our journey of discerning God, we might have learned certain things about God, but our circumstance can tell us that maybe God's not really saying that. Or maybe God's not really like that. When things get a little bit uncomfortable and when things get a little bit stretched and not maybe just not a little bit, but very stretched in circumstances and things that you're going through, it's easy for us to forget who Jesus really is. And so the author writes this letter and then halfway through his discussion on, on Jesus, he actually stops to make this comment about solid food and milk. It's like he was like, why am I even writing this? It's like he has a little like brain melt moment. You read it, it's quite funny. He's like, Jesus is superior. Jesus is up the line on Melchizedek. By the way, you're meant to be on solid food. Why am I doing this? And I think sometimes there is a frustration that we are supposed to be further along than we are. And even though I read that tone into this author, I don't actually think that that's necessarily what he was trying to say. I think he wasn't so much frustrated because he needed to write a whole bunch of stuff that he taught them before, but rather he's like, there is life in Jesus and you're walking away from it. There is more in Jesus and you're walking away from this. And so he was encouraging them and saying, come on, there is another level. What you've experienced, what you've learned, what you've known, there is more. And God wants to reveal more to you, but you need to be mature. 
And so what does the author say maturity looks like? In verse 14, he says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, sometimes when we see good and evil, we are living in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We think of evil aliens and evil people that are literally out to destroy, and we think of good as superheroes. Good and evil in the Bible isn't about superpower versus superpower. Good and evil is about following God and going against God. You can be evil or you can be doing evil because you're just simply going against what God is saying. That is not to say that you are less worthwhile or you've got less value because of that evil deed that you did, but is that understanding of evil is going against God. And so discernment is about, is this God or is this not? And so what this author is saying is that how we train our discernment is by constant practice, is by using this again and again and again, and coming to that place of God, um, what, what are you saying? What are you, what are you trying to teach me? Which leads me to this um, practical element that I wanted to bring this morning. What does it look like to practice our discernment? What does constant training look like? Because I think that when I was growing up, I got this impression that constant training was about getting to a place uh, where I started to ask God about what He wanted me to do in lots of different situations. And I would do it in low-risk ways because the big situations, you build up to that, right? And so I asked God, you know, um, uh, should I... Uh, eat this cereal or that cereal. Or, or maybe I should drive this way at the shops because that's where the parking spot is going to be. Or maybe, you know, these low risk, oh, if, I, oh, if there's no parking spot and I turn left at the shops, God was saying, right. Oh, okay, now, now I've got discernment. I've, I've ratcheted it up another thing. I'm more mature because I now know that God wanted me to go right at the shops and not left. No. In fact, God doesn't really care a lot about whether you get a parking lot or not. In fact, I would go so far as to say that God doesn't really care deeply about the minute details of our lives, even though He knows it, but He's more concerned about the path that you're seeking. And the Bible tells us that when we enter into life with God, we enter into wide open spaces. Wide open spaces doesn't look like, uh, God, should I drive left or right? Should I drive at 60 Ks or 50 Ks down this road? Should I go on a holiday or not? It, someone didn't like that. But there is a certain sense that, yes, God can speak into those things. Let me just give you an example. When Beck and I were trying to figure out whether to go down the adoption route, it was like, man, this is a big discernment call. And I don't know whether we should be doing this or that. And in particular, there were many things that had guided us to this specific point, but nothing that was like, man, that was God. It was like, I think so. And so we just went, okay, I think that's God. I think that's God. And we continued down that path. And we got to a place where we were about to um, put in a whole bunch of money, 
uh, to apply for adoption overseas because that was what we had thought was the route to go down. It, it literally where it cost us tens of thousands of dollars and we were ready to do it. We, we, we got ourselves to that position and, and we were going to go, yep, that's it. However, I think looking back, God went, I've got a better plan for you. And so he hijacked that. And so when we were about to sign the form and say, yes, we're going to go down this path, and yes, we're going to fork out all this money, the caseworker said to us, and she's not allowed to really be talking like that, is that, hey, there's a kid that is about to enter the pool who will be perfect for you. I'm not allowed to say this, but I think that you guys should wait. Three months is not a long time, just wait. They're not allowed to talk about that. They did. And then right the next day, was it the next day or was it the day before that? I can't remember. But one of our, uh, one of our friends calls up and says, and uh, she's a pastor and said, I've got this um, situation. Can you do a private adoption? And we're like, whoa, what's going on? Now, we weren't praying uh, uh, to do a local adoption. We weren't really trying to go down that path. We weren't like God said and we are going. We were just like, God, we're here for the ride. And you're doing things that are beyond our expectation, beyond our understanding. It's crazy. And all of that to say, there are probably, I didn't make a count of this, but there are at least five different things that show us that God wanted Sam in our family. And it happened that way because God just knew best. Was it because we discerned right? No. We had no idea we were supposed to be discerning that. We were discerning a whole different decision. What am I trying to say? That if God truly has something that is amazing for you and your heart is just to follow God, He has a way to hijack your path. If He's got a parking spot that He really wants you to have, He will give that parking spot to you. You don't have to worry about, am I in God's will or am I not? Am I in God's will or am I not? But the problem with this whole uh, issue is that we think about outcomes and outside things when God is quite often dealing with the inside stuff of our heart. And so the practice of discernment actually comes down a lot more to what am I releasing and what am I dealing with on the inside of my life so that I can hear God clearly. Let me show this to you, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul's already saying that in order to follow Jesus, we give him everything, right? And so he goes on to say, as part of our spiritual worship, that do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we have this. We can mature to the point where we are able to discern what the will of God is. And by the way, what is God's will? It is good. We talked about this, good and evil, good and acceptable and perfect. But I want to point out something here. It says, do not be conformed to this world. So Paul is giving a two-parter. If you want to mature and you want to follow God, don't do this and do this. Or don't do this and do this. So what is he saying not to do? He said not to be conformed, not to be molded, not to be shaped by the world. Some of the translations says by the patterns of the world, which I find quite helpful. And now as I was researching this, um, something that really occurred to me is that quite often Christians think that the devil is working against them. And he is, but he's not that 
personal to you? Like, are you changing the world that much that he has gone through your letters and trying to understand how to take you down? Like, why are you so special? I don't think the devil attacks me that much, even, and I'm your flippin' pastor. He doesn't really care about me. I'm a small fry in a big pond. See, the devil, according to the Bible, I don't know whether it's supposed to be, like, accurate in terms of numbers, but it says that he was just one of the angels. And that when he fell, he took one slit of the angels down with him. And sometimes we go, oh, so many. I don't know why I became Asian there. <laughs> I got a whole bunch. Do the math. He took one third. How many more angels are there? Two thirds. So for every demon, how many angels are there? Two. So if there's a demon tormenting you, how many angels do you have available to you? Two. So we don't have to worry about the demons attacking you. As much as we have to watch out what the enemy is doing, and what the enemy does is that he controls the powers and the principalities of the air. That's what the Bible tells us, Ephesians 5, I think that's what it says. And what that means, because we don't think about principalities and powers of the air, it just simply means the systems and the cultures that we are a part of. I live in Australia and there are systems and cultures, there are powers and principalities that I am governed by. And so when we are saying, do not be conformed to this world, what Paul is saying is, worry about the cultures and the ways of thinking that you are allowing in that comes from the wider culture than from the kingdom of God. Let me put something forward to you. We live in Australia, and so this is so important. Australia is an individualistic society. And so as part of the powers and principalities of the air, the devil dials up the need for us to go it alone. Alicia spoke about this two weeks ago, where we have this concept of resilience as I need to get through this alone in order to look strong. That is us conforming, I believe, to the powers and principalities of the air. Why? Because the Bible tells us to be vulnerable and to open up with one another in his family. So what is good to open up? What is of the world not to open up? You judge for yourself. Goblin mode comes in because individualism has been dialed up so high that we don't know where to get resources to get through our daily life. Another thing in our culture is that we've opened up a box of a Pandora's box in looking into emotions. Now, I believe that a lot of these things are actually from a good place. Individualism to a degree, I think is so healthy. You still have worth as a person outside of your family, outside of whatever has happened to you in the past. You are an individual and God pursues you individually. Yes, however, you are also still part of the family. Emotions are a great thing. God has created us with emotions. I come from Singapore where they think that bad emotions are demons, literally sometimes. And I'm like, you're not casting out your emotions because God's created you with them. <laughs> and so we need to understand that when we start to think that I am what I feel, or God is saying what I feel, that's leaning into the powers and principalities. That's leaning into what the world says. I spoke to a young man once, and he was doing some crazy destructive, destructive things over his life. And I asked him, why are you doing this? 
It says, because I feel crap about myself. And when I do that, I feel good. And I said, okay, how long does it make you feel good for? Um, only to the time that it stops. Then what do you do next? He literally said to me, I eat until I pass out, until I fall asleep. Why did he do that? Because his emotions were telling him, this is the path you take. Every addiction follows that same pathway of your emotions. So are emotions good? Yes. God's created us with them. God has feelings and emotions as the Bible describes to us. When we were created in his image, but when we dial into what the world says we should do and how our lives should be, we run the risk of conforming to the world rather than being renewed by our minds. Minds, people. Christianity is intellectual. Why? Because our transformation, yes, takes place in our heart and in our seat of emotions and all of those things, but ultimately everything gets filtered through our mind. Our imagination, God uses to speak to us, I 100% agree that, but what God is speaking to us in our imagination and in our emotions is still filtered through our memories, our experiences, and our learning. And God is saying, you need to deal with that in order to unlock that. And it takes maturity to do that. So how do we do that? Learn God's word. We're going to talk about that later in the year. So important, but get onto it. But I just want to leave one thing with you as I finish. We don't even see the patterns of the world that we've conformed to because we just think it's normal. We need someone else to point out when our thinking, our decision making, our discernment is out of whack. We actually do. Let me give you one story and then I'm going to close. I was catching up with this young man. And it was a, he, he had been part of our church for quite a while, and he really loved what was going on. But, you know, we were in a patch where you know, our church wasn't growing. And so he said to me, Nate, I think you need to kick me out. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> why are you even thinking this? And I'm like, uh, why? He said, I'm Jonah. You need to kick me out. Like, what do you mean you're Jonah and I need to kick you out? He said, well, Jonah was in the Bible, he was in this boat, and there was this big storm, and everyone was going to die. And then they kicked Jonah out, and everyone lived. I'm Jonah. God's telling me that I'm Jonah, and I need to get kicked out. He used the flipping word of God to justify and to say, this is what I think God's asking of me. But it was filtered through patterns of thinking and experiences that totally warped what was going on. Now, if you think, let me just quickly say, if anyone thinks, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. No, it doesn't, okay? It's not how you're supposed to interpret the Jonah story. Jonah was disobeying God, and so he went onto the boat. He did not like what God was asking him to do, and so he jumped onto that boat. The boat hit the storm because God was like, uh, 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 you're not running away from me. And so what does Jonah do? He tries to run away more by killing himself. It was a story of suicide to run away from God's will. So I said, bro, you're trying to commit suicide here, and God's not going to let you do that. You jump out of this boat, there's going to be a fish that eats you up. You can't run away. Like, the whole point is like, bro, the whole point of the Jonah story is that are you going to live in obedience with God? That's the moral of the story. And he sat there and he went, wow, no one's ever told me that. 
I just thought that I was meant to be the sacrificial lamb. I thought I was meant to, you know, sacrifice myself for the greater good. And that sounds like somewhat biblical, doesn't it? Jesus sacrificed himself for the greater good. So maybe that's what I'm supposed to be. You see, that, that guy needed someone else to say, dude, that's not, that's not God. That's not what God is trying to say to you. Our maturity demands that we are courageous enough to allow other people in to our decision making. And to say, I'm thinking about this and I think that God is saying this. And for us to go into the community to trust worthy people, to people who are going ahead of us, to people that we, tr- we know are killing it in their spiritual walk and in their discernment of God and say, help me. Now, we can do this in a fun way, guys. You can say, hey, I've got a decision in front of me. Can you just pray for me? And you let me know what you sense, and then we can talk about it. And say, what are you thinking? You say, I'm not going to tell you until you pray for me. We can make it fun. We can do things like that. Why? Because we're a community that trusts each other. And our whole point is to grow in maturity because God's got greater things in store for us. Whatever it takes. Working on your discernment and learning whether God is speaking to you and how God is speaking to you requires us to come back to a place of checking with other people, I believe. And that's why the Bible says that in the church there are people that are there to encourage, to edify, but also to rebuke and to correct Why? Because all of us have got patterns and ways of thinking and living that lead us down bad paths, lead us down evil paths. I've been there. I go see a psych because that psych has been able to figure out certain patterns of living and thinking that I was so self-righteous about. Oh, that makes me who I am. Yeah, but it ain't a good thing. I had to let go of anger and punitiveness because that pattern was revealed to me as a pattern of the world, not a pattern from God. Change isn't easy. Change sucks sometimes. But you can go back to your old ways of living and thinking, and there's a goblin that is right there on your shoulders saying that's exactly what you should do. But I'm here this morning to say that God has got a bigger, better life that we need to, as a church, walk into. And you need to be able to become a maturing person, practicing, constant practice, learning your discernment. Some of you need to go and to check what I'm saying and to uh, use the discernment. Is Nate right? Go do some research by yourself. That's another great way to practice your discernment. Not everything that I say from the front needs to be accepted just like that. I'm not that proud to think that I'm always right. But how are you practicing? How are you working in discernment? And so this morning we are going to have communion. And we're going to have communion because I love the picture of what communion is. Actually, we do it it because it's a thing that a church should do. But we're doing it this morning with this point of view of like we are here as the body of Christ. And as I partake of communion, I'm partaking of his body and his wider body. 
I'm taking in of his life, the life that flows in all of us. And I pray that as we have this moment of communion, you know what, let's just do this. Can you turn around to maybe two or three people, groups of three, four, whatever, and pray for each other. Build each other up. Edify each other. Come on, let's stand. Find yourself a little group. And just pray over each other. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.